0: pray with me please father god we we pray together that you would open our hearts and our minds that you would open us up that you would open us up father by the power of your holy spirit that our hearts and minds and souls be receptive of Your Word. Oh, Father God, we bow down before Your cross, and we bow down before Your King, and we bow down before our Lord. And, Father, we acknowledge Him to be our Lord and Savior and King, and we acknowledge that salvation is in no other but in Him. And we worship our Lord Jesus Christ. And we worship the Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come, Lord. Come, prepare us for your word. Prepare us for your teaching today and be exalted, Father. I will seek to exalt you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Good morning, everyone. You know what I tell you each week? Open your Bibles. I hope that you have brought your Bibles today. I want you to be accustomed to bringing your Bible. You may have it on your phone. You may have it on a tablet, but if not, then you certainly need to have your Bible with you. Um, There are Bibles in the pews in front of you. You also have the insert in your bulletin with the lessons, all three lessons of the day, and you can certainly follow what it is that I want to teach you today just from the insert. Also, in your bulletins, there is a sheet. I don't know if it's the last page of the bulletin or it's a loose sheet, uh, but that's for you to take notes. I pray that you will take some notes and that you will consider later reviewing those notes before the Lord in prayer and asking the Lord, what is it that He may be saying to you through the notes that you have taken? It may be that you will find that you have written things that I didn't say, which is great because that means you may be hearing the Lord uh, speaking to you or bringing to mind Uh, some things, some memories, some words. Uh, I pray He will speak to you abundantly today. So please um, take notes. This morning, this morning, i I like to put some things in context with you uh, and and do open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. That's where we're at today, Luke chapter 23. This morning, we, we conclude. This morning, we conclude the church's liturgical year. Uh, today is what is known as the last Sunday of Pentecost, but it's more a Sunday that is called Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday, and it's the last Sunday of the liturgical year. That began uh, back on December 2nd, 2018. It it seems like such a long time. But on December 2nd, 2018, we started the season of Advent that took us through the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus, and now brings us to the conclusion of that long journey at the cross. That's what we are visiting. Notice one thing, being Christ the King, we are not looking at Jesus seated on a throne with majestic robes and a crown on His head. We're looking at a king hanging from a cross. That's what we're looking at today. It is the conclusion of His earthly journey that we started celebrating back in December 2nd of 2018, looking and expecting and and headed toward his birth, and then from his birth we moved on through the wise man, and then and then in Lent through his uh, through his life, and and and. Today is the conclusion of that long journey because I've been telling you constantly where Jesus is. Jesus is in this place. Jesus is in that place. Sometimes I even said to you, I have no idea where Jesus is, but he must be in this area. And and so today, we conclude that journey, at least the earthly journey of the person of Jesus, and we conclude our journey with him. So, we conclude today the, the, the season of, of... that started with December of 2018, where we started looking and studying through the gospel of Luke, through the gospel of Luke. And uh, next Sunday, next Sunday is Advent 1, or the first Sunday of Advent where we begin the new liturgical year that will conclude eventually in in November or December of 2020. And this coming year, our focus is going to be the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew will be looking at at all related to the life of Jesus according to, to Matthew, uh, and and I may be doing some things different this year that I've ever done, and I'm looking forward to um, to to spending with you some time in other books. When I say other books, I may be desiring to teach through the Book of Ruth. I may be teaching you through the through uh, some of the letters of Paul, rather than going the gospel uh, every every Sunday. But I may, at, at special occasions, just deal with the gospel. So, I'll be surprising you every Sunday. So, make sure that you have your Bibles with you and ready to take notes, because you have no idea what I'm going to do from Sunday to Sunday. But I do want to give you the full scope, as much as I can, of the Word of God. But I'll tell you in advance. If, if we study Malachi, I'll tell you that we're going to study Malachi and, and why I'm, I'm choosing Malachi and so on. But I, I do want you to have, through 2020, a full uh, spectrum of God's Word, both through the Old and the, and the New Testament. But today, today we conclude uh, this liturgical year. And as I said, next week, uh, we start with Advent. And one of the things you're going to see beginning next week is that all the colors of the church will change. All the colors of the church will change. Today is white, because we're celebrating the King, the King. We're celebrating the King Jesus. But all of our vestments, everything will change to the color purple. To the color purple, everything will change to purple. And i tell you why, liturgically, I love this as uh, as part of our liturgical life. We get to worship God with all of our senses. With our ears, we sing, with the voice, or the voice we sing, we listen to music. But with the eyes, we also worship by seeing the changes that happen from season to season. So, when you come next week, you're going to notice that things are different than all other seasons. And every time we change a season, the colors will change, and I'll teach you why they're changing. But the, the color purple is the color for that calls us to meditate. It's, it's the, the color that calls us to prepare to instros, for introspection, to look inside of us, to prepare, to, to to, to humble ourselves. To, it's, it's the color, also, of Lent that calls us to, uh, to just uh, go inside of us and recognize that something special is about to happen. And so, next week, we'll do that. And I've invited uh, uh, some people in our church to light up the Advent wreath. So, we're gonna have the Advent wreath up here. And for each of the Sundays of, of, uh, uh, of Advent, we're going to be lighting a candle, and so you'll know exactly where we are just before the birth of Jesus, okay? So that's kind of what we're going to be uh, doing, um, what we're doing today and what we're going to, uh, to start doing next week. However, there's something even more important that I want you to recognize and to know today, Uh, which I believe is extremely important. Um, I want you to be able to see the connection, the connection between Advent and preparing for the birth of Jesus and today. Okay? And today. I want you to see that connection. Because beginning Advent and as we head toward Christmas, we're kind of looking at the beginning of the Christian salvation history. But it ends today with the death of Jesus at the cross. Okay? This is important. Before we begin over here with Christmas, we are going to celebrate the conclusion that started on Christmas. The conclusion of the birth of a baby ends with the death of the Lamb of God. The journey of Jesus that begins on a manger ends today with us looking at the cross. And that is very, very important in our liturgical observation of Christ the King Sunday today. In other words, we are connecting the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, with the conclusion of His mission, as the Lamb of God. We're connecting the birth and the beginning of the Son of God with the conclusion of the Son of God, but as a lamb that is slain, a lamb that has given His life for the salvation of the world. And that's part of what I want you to notice, the contrast before we begin a new season, we conclude this season. I would put it to you this way, that Jesus goes from baby to the sacrificial lamb. To the sacrificial lamb. The completion of the journey. The completion of the journey. When Jesus said from the cross, it is finished, He was given completion to the mission that the Father had entrusted to Him. It is finished. The journey is completed. It's perfected. It is finished. It is done. I have done all that my Father commissioned me to do, and it began with me coming into the world as a human being, in a, ba- in a form of a baby, lying on a manger. It began there, humanly, because it really all began in the mind of God, the Trinity. But it began there, and it concludes at the cross. I want you to connect those two, otherwise today has no meaning. If Jesus hadn't been born, you would still be in your sins. There would have been no atonement. There would have been no payment for your sins. If Jesus had not come into the world, you would be condemned for all eternity as a sinner separated from God. But if he was born and never died, you would be in the same place. If he had been born and never sacrificed himself and taken your sins upon the cross, then you would have no payment for the sins that we have committed. So this completes the journey. And we need to rejoice, and we need to acknowledge, and we also, I think it's an act that humbles us. That humbles us. And so that's part of what today is all about. Let me, let me also, if you haven't noticed, I want to give you a, a piece of, of information that I think is very, very important. None of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, none of the Gospels describes the crucifixion. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. None of the Gospels describe the crucifixion. The most that the Gospels say is they took him to a hill called the Skull, and there they crucified him. That's it. There's no description as to what happened. There's no description as to whether Jesus cried out in pain. All of those things are things we imagine because we know what happens to the body. But there's no description in any of the Gospels of the details of the cross. Because the cross was such a horrendous death, the the Gospel writers just didn't feel that it was right for them to describe every detail of what happened to Jesus. Do you know that the earliest picture of a crucified body was in, in, in a tomb, in a catacombs, where it was the place where people were buried, and it was actually a cross with A man crucified, but with the head of a a horse or an ass. That was the first actual picture of a crucifixion. It clearly was not about a believer. It was not a believer that was doing that. It wasn't until years later, after the cross, that the church and believers began to paint, to draw in stones and things like that, Jesus crucified. For a long time, at least for a century and a half, there was no depiction anywhere of Jesus crucified. And I want to tell you something else. Only out of a sense of modesty did some of the paintings, the early paintings of Jesus, put a loincloth around him only out of a sense of modesty. But the reality may have been that Jesus was crucified and humiliated to the point that he had nothing covering him. That the intent of the Romans was to so humiliate him that they would show him not only his weakness, but they would show the crucified person's full nudity. The idea was to humiliate the person so that no one else would want to rise against the Roman Empire. Now imagine the Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God nailed to a cross like a piece of meat. Just nailed to a cross, bloody, naked, showing all of his weakness. Just imagine that is what we're seeing. We're not seeing a king on a throne, we're seeing a king that chose to come into this world because his father asked him to and chose to climb on the cross and allowed himself to be so humiliated and killed and martyred and murdered so that you didn't have to climb on that same cross. That's the King that we are observing today as Christ the King. I want to give you three more quick things for you to consider that have always been a blessing to me. Jesus was crucified just on the outsides of Jerusalem, on a hill that we all call Calvary. The Bible tells us that it was a place called the Place of the Skull. That's what the description is. But I want, you, I want to also acknowledge that this is the general area that was known as Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah was the mountain that God commanded Abraham to take Isaac to and to kill him as a sacrifice in Mount Moriah. Of course, the father intervened, and Isaac was saved, and a ram was put in his place, the initial indications that someone would be the substitute for the sins of mankind. And that is the mountain area in which Jesus now is being crucified. The second thing that blessed me tremendously is I have read uh, through Isaiah, and there is a chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 25, I believe, that it speaks about Isaiah 500 years before Jesus. He's pointing to a mountain. He's pointing to a mountain, and he says, on that mountain, death will be conquered, and there will be no more crying, and there will be no more death, because death will be Conquered and covered the last of the things the fear, the man fear. And that's Isaiah 25, I believe. And I believe that Isaiah was pointing to Mount Moriah. He was pointing to the area of Jerusalem. He was pointing to the hill, which 500 years later or so after he wrote that or said that, Jesus was conquering death on a cross on that mountain. And the other thing that blessed me is last week, I told you that I had learned a brand new thing, and I told you that it was related to the parable of the wicked tenants, and I kind of explained to you the parable of the wicked tenants. When you read the parable of the wicked tenants, you see that when the sun comes and they kill the sun. What the parable says is they took the son and they said, let's kill the heir, and they took him outside of the vineyard. And then they killed the son, the owner of the the vineyard. Here we have another example that the parable of the vineyard is being used here, because Jesus is being taken out of Jerusalem, out of the temple, out of that area that served as the holy city, and in the outskirts of that city is that Jesus is then crucified. And I, I thought those things are of great blessing uh, to me as I try to understand Jesus' teaching. Now, I want to take you to the passage. I've already kind of given you all the context of the passage. Uh, As I read the passage, as I dissected the the passage, as I usually do with sermons, uh, one thing kind of caught my attention, and so I I said, this is what I want to bring you today. Uh, I I want you to observe, as you read this passage of Luke 23, beginning with the uh, 35th verse, the cast of characters, the cast of characters. Okay, because there's different people described here, beginning with verse 35. It says, and the people, the the first cast of character, it says, and the people stood by watching. The people stood by watching and I thought to myself, I wonder how many people today, even in churches, stand by watching, doing nothing about Jesus' crucifixion. How many people, even in churches, we come to church, and, 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 and we come to sing, and we come to see each other, and so often we lose sight that the only reason we should be here is to see Jesus. We come here for many, many different reasons. Some maybe because they're just invited and they come, they may not even want to be here. But I wonder how much of our time and how much of our life we spend just watching, spectating about what Jesus has done. How many of us know the story so well that it hasn't affected us? How many of us haven't made the change from the head and what we know and have been hearing since we were children to the heart so that the heart is fully converted? How many of us are just standing by the cross, by the story of Jesus, and all we're doing is watching? How many people have been untouched by the vision of Jesus' bloody? naked, nailed, scourged. How many of us are fully unaffected, unaffected by that sight, if you can just imagine it in your mind? How many of us are just simple bystanders of the gospel story? Simple bystanders, silent observers, uninvolved spectators. How many people do you know today? How many people do you know that, for whom the death of Jesus is just a story, but it hasn't, it hasn't really become part of their story? How many people can even tell you that they saw a picture or they saw a drawing but they're still not bowing down and submitting to the king that dies for us. So, the first cast of characters that I see in this story, it it begins, verse 35, it begins with the words, and the people stood by watching. And then it says, but the rulers scoffed at him. The rulers coughed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The rulers coughed. Have you ever scoffed at Jesus? Unintentionally or consciously or unconsciously? Have you ever doubted that Jesus is the Son of God? Have you ever chosen not to submit to His authority? Have you ever chosen to either use scoff or allow people around you to scoff at who Jesus is? To make derogatory remarks with friends, perhaps in your, in your surroundings, How often do we hear insulting comments about Jesus? If there's one thing that sometimes pierces my heart, is when I'm watching television, either a movie or or a show or something like that, and, and inevitably they will mention Jesus Christ, but in a kind of derogatory term, either about Jesus or about the followers of Jesus. And they make fun, and boy, it hurts. It hurts because this world has no idea who Jesus Christ is. And so it's easy to use us or to use Christ in derogatory forms or to put him in the mouth of people without really even intending to, to do that. The rulers coughed. And then, and then, as I continue, he they say he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And then he says, and then the soldiers also mocked him. The soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, "If you are the king, if you are the king of the Jews, uh, come down." From it says save yourself. And there was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. The soldiers mocked Jesus. They mocked his identity. They mocked who he was. I'm going to ask you a favor. It's something that I've tried to practice, and sometimes I myself violate it. Don't ever tell me a story or a joke about God. Don't ever tell me a story or a joke about Jesus. I don't want to know about Peter at the pearly gate and who comes and who says, and I don't care about any of those jokes. They're, what Jesus has done is serious enough for me that I don't want to hear. Don't ever, please don't ever bring me a joke about my God. Even if it's super funny, I don't want to hear about it. And, and, and if someone is joking with you about Jesus or your holy, holy, holy God, either walk away or if you can, just tell him that you don't welcome that kind of joking about your Lord and your God. You see, the soldiers were mocking Jesus. If you are the king of the Jews. They even put over his head a sign, the king of the Jews. They were joking with whom? With him. They were making of him a joke. They laughed at him. They beat him and said, who hit you? Prophesy. They joked by putting on him a crown of thorns. That's all that it was, a joke for them. They mocked him by putting a crown of thorns. They were mocking that they claimed he was the king. They mocked him when they put a purple robe like a king would wear. And now they were mocking by putting a sign over him, King of the Jews, and not just in Hebrew. They were putting it in Latin, and they were putting it in Greek. They wanted to joke about what they were doing. They were laughing at the crucifixion of our Lord, the Son of God. And he allowed that to happen. So, you have this cast of characters at the cross. The soldiers mocked. The soldiers mocked. And then, as I continue reading, it says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him. Railed at him. That's another character at the cross. A criminal railed at him. Would you agree with me that this man wasted his last opportunity for salvation? He's about to face the judge of the universe... And he knew it, if he was a Jew, he knew that he would, about to die, would come to the presence of God. He wasted his last breath by railing against Jesus. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Messiah, save yourself and us. My goodness, I think the day of salvation is today. It's not a day for railing against Jesus. It's a day for bowing down and saying, I may not know everything, but I believe you are the Son of God who came into the world to save me, and I will trust you, and I will bow down." So, you have a criminal decide that he was going to spend the last few minutes of his life railing against this man being killed next to him and he's just railing against him. How many of us have ever railed against Jesus? How many of us have put into question whether he is truly your king and your Lord? And then we have another character of this horrendous scene, and it is the other thief, the other criminal. And the other criminal, it it says here, it says, but the other rebuked the first one, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong." And he said, "'Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom.'" And Jesus' resp- Jesus speaks for the first time in these verses. Jesus' answer is, "'Today.'" you will be with me in paradise. How different these two thieves are. Often when I preach and and have preached in other churches, when I'm invited uh, on Good Friday or or around Holy Week, I love preaching a sermon that I composed a number of years ago that is really a look at the three crosses of Calvary. And I, I call one of the cross the cross of rejection. And I take a look at why people reject Jesus today. What are the reasons that we come to Calvary and we still choose to reject the one opportunity we might have to have salvation and hope and peace and a transformed life? What is it? And so I look at that. And then I look at the other cross, and I call this cross the cross of acceptance, the the thief that, that accepts Jesus. And then I go to the center cross, and I call that the cross of grace. The cross of rejection, the cross of acceptance, the cross of grace. The cross where God was pouring His love unto all mankind at the feet of Jesus. And what you have here is you have the three crosses. And then finally, you come to the last of the characters in this horrendous play, and it is Jesus Christ himself. We can blame blame the Jews for betraying Jesus. We can blame Judas, his own disciple. We can even blame the disciples for not defending Jesus. We can blame the Romans for all that they did. The reality is that it was the plan of God, that it was the plan of God out of grace and out of mercy and out of love for mankind to give His one and only beloved Son to come and take fully who we are as human beings. And Jesus climbed upon that cross fully knowing and loving us to the end. And the Son of glory and the King of the universe allows himself to be killed and hung on a cross so that you and I don't have to, so that our sins be forgiven, so that the wrath of God can be avoided in us. He takes on the brunt of what history brings to him, and the Father turns his back on him so that Jesus becomes sin, He doesn't just take on our sin. He becomes the very presence of sin, crucified, nailed to a cross, so that you and I can be forgiven, so that our sins can be taken away. What a king. What a king who dies for his subjects rather than command his subjects to die for him. What a king! What a God! What a God! But why? Well, I've alluded to it. There is a term which is theological, but it's, it's not just theological. It's, it's you, you understand it fully, and, and there is a term that is substitution what was happening at the cross is that Jesus was substituting himself for the truly guilty criminals, the one on the right, the one on the left, and the ones here in church today. Jesus was substituting himself so that you didn't have to carry on you the penalty of the sins you and I have committed. And we have all committed sins. We are all guilty. We have all rebelled against the Word of God. We have all chosen not to be obedient. We have all, and I don't say that to invite you to continue, but rather to make sure that you understand the cost of your salvation, the cost of your deliverance, the cost of your redemption, the cost of eternal life that you now have in Him. We were the guilty ones, and Jesus substituted himself for us. That is why the king is on the cross. To substitute himself. We are the guilty ones. We're unable to pay the price. And let me tell you, um, I don't, I think, I, I, can you go to the next slide? Uh, I mean, what did the criminal believe? Well, for one thing, the criminal knew that he was guilty and that he was deserving of his just punishment. Number two, he knew that Jesus was the king with the kingdom. I mean, he acknowledges it. He says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. So he's acknowledging that Jesus is who he claims he to be. And number three... The thief is acknowledging, or the criminal is acknowledging, the next slide, please, that Jesus could save him and forgive him, that Jesus was the way into God's kingdom and God's presence. And as someone at the eight o'clock service reminded me, he says, there's another thing I see here. He says, he defended Jesus. Well, not openly, not, but, but in a way he did. He defended Jesus against the railing of this other criminal that, just like him, deserved what they were getting. So he becomes a defender of Jesus by speaking out for him. By speaking out for him. And to me, this is the way for us as well. It is the way for us as well. We need to recognize our guilt and we need to ask for forgiveness, and we need to to bow down to Jesus, and we need to defend him. Not that he needs our defense, but if I don't defend him, then who will? How will someone believe in Jesus if I, myself, I'm not standing up for what I believe? And I don't want to make this too, too long, but what shall we do? What shall we do about our King? What shall we do? We need to accept our will without lies and without excuses. We're so full of excuses. We're so full of blaming everybody else for what I did, my <coughs> parents, my grandparents, whoever it is, I don't know, whatever I experience in life, my loneliness, my this, my that. The reality is we have chosen A lot of the sins and pitfalls in which we have fallen, sometimes out of ignorance, sometimes out of whatever reasons in our lives, but but hiding them are not going to be the answer. Hiding them only makes it worse. I think I need to acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. What shall I do I need to without lies and without excuses accept our guilt accept that Jesus is who he claims to be The Lord the Savior and the King accept Jesus death and sacrifice for us and ask for forgiveness Ask for forgiveness Turn the control of our lives over to Jesus Ask for the help of God through his Holy Spirit I want you to see something that St. Paul uh, said in Romans chapter 10 that I think it's essential if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved because with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth what one confesses and is made confession is made unto salvation the mouth the heart we believe with our heart and with our mouth we confess and i would add and with our hands we serve this is how salvation happens you and i need to come to the cross acknowledge our sins bow down and receive the grace that is available to us in Jesus Christ. No one else can save you, not yourself, not anyone else, but he who is God who chooses to die for you in your place in substitution. That's the King that we celebrate today. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he's coming again not as a lamb again to be sacrificed, but he's coming as the Lion of Judah. That's the King that we celebrate today, Christ the King Sunday. And I want to call you, all of you, I want to call you to a true surrender, a critical surrender of your life to the rule of God, to the control of God, to the love of God, to the mercy of God. This is the day of salvation for all. If you choose to reach out and say, remember me in your King. Remember me, Lord Jesus, in your kingdom. So today we conclude the long journey that ends a baby hanging from a cross. And next Sunday we begin the journey again because it is important to be reminded constantly of who Jesus is and who the Father is and who the Holy Spirit is, and so I say to you, come, come and hear the story, come and hear the message of salvation, and go out and proclaim it, and live it, and serve your King. Amen? Amen. Stand with me.